It's good to see you guys uh, here this morning. Uh, it's good to have those folks that are watching online with us. We always uh, love having you be a part of our worship service. And again, our campus at uh, Buchanan, we love having you uh, as well. Hey, we are in the middle of a series that we've entitled Never Lost because when you think about the life of Jesus Christ, he's undefeated. That's our Savior. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So that has a, t- that is pretty cool to you guys, isn't it? Yeah, pretty cool. But, but the problem is that we need to step in that and, and live in the victory that can be ours, which is a really difficult thing. And so one of the things that we're doing in this series is we're taking a look, getting ready, building up toward Easter Sunday. We're really taking a look at a lot of stories in the Bible that really foreshadowing, foreshadow the coming resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you think about it, if there was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, that bodily died and then three days later stepped out of the grave, that's a rule changer, right? That's a pretty big deal. And so it makes sense that God would really prepare the way for that, that there would be some things that would would happen that sort of get us ready where this shouldn't be uh, such a surprise. And we certainly saw that in the very first book of the Bible last week with the story of Abraham and Isaac and all those things that just foreshadowed several thousand years what would happen in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And then today we're going to see a story that uh, really moves way, way uh, past that Genesis account and takes us all the way to two weeks before the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a story of the raising of, of Lazarus. And now... One of the reasons why we chose to share this story, which I've looked at this story a, a lot if you've been around here, I love this story. It's a story that really prepares us for the resurrection of Jesus because this is the last miracle that Jesus performs before he would go to the cross. So it's really a culmination of all of his ministry that's pointing toward this. And in fact, this is a miracle that has a, a lot of significance in, in, in multiple ways. Uh, number one, It's a very public miracle. We're going to see that there were so many people in and around Jerusalem that were present for this miracle uh, to take place. And it's a miracle that also really, as we said, just foreshadows what Jesus is going to do in his resurrection. But it's a, it's a fascinating miracle in another, another extent because of the four Gospels, Luke is the only Gospel writer to record the story of Lazarus. And so some people might say, well, why is that? Matthew, Mark, and, and John don't record the story of Lazarus. And there's so much we can learn about the life of Jesus from this story. What, what some Bible scholars and theologians say is this, when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were writing their histories of the Jesus story, Lazarus was still alive. And, and this was a, such a high-profile miracle, and it caused uh, so much division. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, many people believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Some people doubted that Jesus was the Messiah, and a group of people made plans to kill Jesus on the other side of this, this miracle. Now, what some say is Matthew, Mark, and John understood that, so they didn't include that uh, in, the, in their account because Lazarus was still alive when they were writing their account and just out of deference and protection for Lazarus. And, and so, but we're going to see that in, in this account with John that he does in, in include that. And so it's a fascinating, fascinating story. But we're going to go just a little bit deeper because here's, I think, where the rubber meets the road for all of us. It's one thing to know that our God is undefeated. But it's a whole different thing to walk in victory in our own life. And so I think many of us experience disappointment in our life. All of us experience disappointment. Everybody in this room today has had some disappointment in your life, haven't you? It's what we all share in common. But how do we really gain victory over the disappointments in life? And so here's even a deeper question. What do you do when God disappoints you? 
Because we don't really like to talk about that, but we've all had those feelings of just feeling let down or disappointed by God. So what do you do when God disappoints you? Well, there's just a couple things that we really can do. For some people, they just lose their faith. They turn away from God. Ted Turner, the media mogul, billionaire, early in his life, thought he wanted to go into ministry, but his sister had lupus and was incredibly sick and suffered a lot of pain and ultimately died as a teenager. Then his father subsequently took his own life, and, and for that, it just spun him out, and, and, and he walked away from his faith and, and became an atheist. And you have friends like that, and maybe that's even where you've been in your life. Just things have happened that have disappointed you with God, and you've kind of just lost faith. Well, for others, sometimes we, we sort of isolate these difficult questions from our faith. In other words, we just kind of don't deal with them. Yeah, there's some hard things about God and the disappointments of life, but yet I just don't really want to think about that, so we just kind of isolate those, which can be unhealthy also. And then finally, what do we do with the disappointments of our, our, our faith and what happens when we're disappointed with God? We can really dig deeper into our faith and really see what God has for us. And that's a difficult journey, but it's a rewarding journey. And we're going to look at some principles today that will help us with that. So if you have your Bible, let's jump in. John chapter 11, here we go, uh, verse 1. It says, now a certain man was ill, very, very sick, we know, uh, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, his sister. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So here's what we know up to this point. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were insiders. They loved Jesus. Jesus loved them. In fact, there were probably few people uh, on earth during the time of Jesus that Jesus had a closer relationship with than Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus was most likely a, a very wealthy person, and, and, and some say Jesus would have probably stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus when he was in, in Jerusalem. We see that Mary anoints Jesus' body with, with this expensive uh, oil. So these were insiders, yet this insider was incredibly sick and dying. And so that can be disappointing, right? When there's health issues, that can be disappointing. And look at verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, sent word to him saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. Now the implication there, that reminder is, hey, 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 Jesus, Lazarus, let me just remind you who you love, right? You see, because we, we sometimes have sort of a little Christian karma, so to speak. And like, like we kind of, we wouldn't say it in a small group, but we sort of have this thought like, you know, I'm going to do some good things for you, God. And so I, I showed up at church on Sunday morning, so I'm going to kind of need you to come through this week. Or we, we, we gave a little money, uh, and so I'm going to need you to kind of kind of come through for me. And it's sort of, if I scratch your back, then you scratch mine. That, that's kind of what Mary and Martha have going here. Like the one you love is, is sick, so we're going we're gonna to need you right now. But when Jesus heard that, he said something. He said, this illness does not lead to death, which is an interesting statement, right? It's foreshadowing of the resurrection. He says it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, we're going to press into this in just a few moments, but whenever someone says glory to God or it is for the glory of God, then that can be kind of a stained glass, churchy, very religious phrase that we might think, what in the world does that mean? Well, to glorify God or when God receives glory, it means that, that the full weight of his attributes are on display. That when God is glorified, what does it mean? That people see in an undeniable way his power, his faithfulness, his holiness, right? His justice. All of these attributes are on full display. And that's what it means for God to be glorified, right? 
So this illness, Jesus says, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God, that's him, may be glorified uh, through this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary, and he loved Lazarus. Just, just a reminder. Now, let me just say this just very simply because there, there is kind of this group inside the religious world today, the Christian world, that would even say, you know what, if you have enough faith, if you, if you love Jesus well enough and you're walking closely enough with God, then you, you won't really have the difficult things of life that will happen to you. In fact, if there is a difficult thing that has happened to you, it must be because there's a lack of faith somewhere in your life. Now, here's a problem with this. There's really nobody on earth at this time that probably loved Jesus more than Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, yet Lazarus is sick, and that sickness is ultimately leading to his death. And I want us to just to store that because it's going to kind of give us a lens for how we deal with the disappointments of life. Because can, can you say this? Do, do we all need some help in, in dealing with life's disappointments? I think we do because we all go through disappointments, right, in our life. And we're all prone to, we're all prone to blame God. We're going to see that in this story. Martha does that to a certain extent. And we're all prone to, when we go through a difficult thing, to think, you know what, God, if you're, you're, you're powerful enough and you're really loving enough, why in the world would you allow, allow this to happen? And, and, and the, the Hebrews had a, a phrase for that when somebody was railed at God and was mad at God and put God on trial and blamed God for the problems of their life. The Hebrews had a phrase for that. It was chutzpah. And what, it, it was sort of a word picture. A person who had chutzpah or blamed God for the difficult things in their life was, was sort of like a rebellious son who killed his mother and killed his father and then pled mercy on the courts to be cared for as an orphan. And that's sort of how they, they viewed that, right? So we sort of forgot our rebellion against God. But it's an, it's an interesting thing, and we mostly all do that, right? Verse 6, so when Jesus learned that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's an interesting verse. Jesus hears Lazarus is sick, right? Lazarus that he loved, and he intentionally does what? He stays two days longer. I mean, we might look at that and think, that's got to be a typo, Right? Because if he really loved him, he would have rushed to him. Why the delay? It seems like the delay is intentional, and it was. Then after he said, then afterwards he said this to his disciples, let us go to Judea, down in and around Jerusalem where this event's taking place. And so they make their way there. Let's stop and we'll take our notes out. Or if you have your notes on the U version or you printed some notes before you came, here's, our, here's the first thing I want us to see today. If you want to be able to have victory over the disappointments of life, and that's what I want, man. I don't want to be controlled by circumstances and situations. Do you? That every circumstance and situation just really bottoms me out so much. I'd, lo I'd love to be able to gain some victory over the disappointments in, in my life. How about you? You see, and I think that's what we can have. I think that's what Jesus offers. But, but let's look at the first thing. We see it in this, in this text. Victory over disappointment is really for those who expect delays. Now, there's not going to be any amens here. Nobody's going to go, Wow, that's super cool. I really like that. That's good. Go over that one again. But, but this is true nonetheless. And let's just be really frank about my job. My job is not to tell us, really tell you what you want to hear. My job is to the best of my, best of my ability to tell you what the Word of God says, right? And that's a very different thing. And so if you're going to follow Jesus and you want to begin to have victory over the disappointments in your life, one of the things that you just need to be aware of, you're watching online, Expect delays. No, I hate delays, don't you? I hate waiting in traffic. 
Like I, I, lived, in, I lived in Murfreesboro in the, the mid-'80s. We didn't have traffic. We heard about traffic. We didn't have any traffic, right? Now, I mean, it, traffic is everywhere, and so that, that kind of bothers me because I don't like traffic. I don't like to wait when I get food, right? You go through Chick-fil-A, there's eight lanes now all converging, so I don't like to wait for fast food. I, I want my food, and I want it now, right? When I DVR a show and I fast-forward through the commercials, I hate it. This is a pet peeve of mine. I don't know if it bothers you. When you push play, there's about a, a second and a half delay before it really starts playing, and that just really irks me, right? That tears me up. I hate that. I hate waiting. Do you? I mean, we don't like delays. But if I'm going to have victory, if I'm going to have some victory over the disappointments in life, one of the things that we need to understand is, is we need to begin to expect delays. But even in the church, we say kind of some crazy stuff that, and this is going to kind of offend some people. Here's what I hear people say when we're going through a disappointing delay. Well, God must be trying to grow my patience. Right? You hear people say that? You point at your neighbor. Yeah, she, she said that a lot. God must be trying to grow my patience. I'm not sure that's what's taking place. Sometimes maybe that is what God's doing. It's certainly not, not what God's trying to do with Mary and Martha here. It's not really what he's trying to do. In fact, this doesn't have a whole lot. This delay doesn't have a whole lot to do with Mary and Martha. This delay, God's at work doing something far greater than Mary and Martha could ever get their mind around in the resurrection of their brother that is going to lead to ultimately the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's far greater. So when we're going through a delay, it, it, it may not be that God's trying to grow our patience. It's probably God revealing his plan, and it's way bigger than anything that you could imagine. So we have to expect some spiritual delays in our life. This is one of the hardest things for me as a pastor. There's going to be seasons where we really feel so close to God, and the time, our times of worship, our times in the Word are so rich, and we feel so close. God is so present to us. We're so aware. And then there are going to be other seasons in our life where God feels, for some reason, somewhat distant. There'll be some delays in your spiritual life. There'll be some delays in your health, right? There'll be a diagnosis. There'll be some frustration uh, in your life physically, right? And, and we're prone to be disappointed about that. Lazarus will certainly go through, going through that. There'll be some relational delays, a relationship that you had your heart and mind set on and you knew this was going to be the one and you already had your life planned out and it didn't end the way, or it certainly ended, not in a way you thought it was going to end and you're in a relational delay and it is very frustrating and you're prone to wonder, God, where are you? There'll be some professional delays. There'll be some times of really some soul-searching we're scrambling just to, to make ends meet and just wondering, God, where are you? Why this delay? Well, just the first step that we need to see in this story that if we're going to gain victory over the disappointments in life, we have to be willing to expect some delays. And, and we feel super disappointed. We feel disappointed in life for one reason, because usually we just play the short game, Right? We're just wanting kind of some instant gratification. We play the short game, and so we sort of lose sight of living in light of eternity. So consequently, we feel disappointed. Now, let's look at the second thing. If we want to gain victory over the disappointments in life, we have to begin to expect some delays. Those are the norm. Number two, and we see it right here in this text. We see it right here in this text. Victory over the disappointments in life. Victory over the disappointments in life you know, maybe you're here today and say, you know what, inside the marriage that I'm in, this is, this is just not what, uh, not what I expected, and this has really been a disappointing stretch for me, 
or raising my children and thinking that it was going to be this way and, and experiencing all these things, and it's not, and I'm, I'm going through a very disappointing season, or maybe in your career, like, man, I thought when I got this job that everything would be really buttoned up, and this is what I was created for, but it's not. It's disappointing. Victory over dis- disappointments are really for those who value God's glory over our immediate gain. Now, this is really hard, and you've heard this before, but I'm going to give you a question that I think you need to begin to ask the circumstances and situations of your life that will radically affect you, right? If not, if not, if you don't pick up these principles, all of your life you'll just be up and down controlled by the circumstances and situations. And even though God's never lost, we will live in a lot of defeat in our life. And so, What does it mean to to have victory over the disappointments by really living for God's glory over our immediate gain? Well, first of all, this is what Jesus was more focused on, right? In this story, Jesus is more focused on God being glorified than Lazarus being healed, right? Now, that that doesn't sound like none of us would, would, we don't really like that, right? Because we play the short game. Like, we're we're like Mary and Martha, heal him and heal him now. And and, and just because there's so much sentiment and, and animosity and sorrow there, Jesus still doesn't acquiesce to that because he's making a decision based on the glory of God. Look at verse four. When, when, when Christ heard that Lazarus was ill, listen to what he said. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So it wasn't just about Lazarus being healed, but it was about God being glorified. And we said just a few moments ago, what does it mean for God to be glorified? That the full weight of his attributes would be on display. And listen, they're about to be, right? Now, here's the problem. God's definition of victory and our definition of victory are different. Like, we keep score differently. Have you ever played games with, with the kid and they kept score different than you? Like, in my house, I mean, it's, it's my fault, but I'm like an uber-competitive guy. Both of my boys are, like, super competitive. And even from the time they were very young, I mean, in an unhealthy way, I wanted to beat them to show them I was ball. Right? I just thought that was healthy. You need to lose. I need to win. And I, I couldn't because they just changed the rules. Like, I thought I was up seven to five. No, that last basket I just made, Dad, was worth eight points. When did that happen? Just did. Right, it's really hard to beat somebody who changes the rules, right? I mean, that's, that's kind, of a, kind of tough to gain, gain victory when somebody just changed the rules. But one of the reasons why we feel so much disappointment in our life is, is what we value is most important. God values something else most important. We value our our, our personal happiness and contentment as of the highest value in life. And it's not that that's not important to God. It is important to God. But what's most important is his, his glory. That's what Jesus is saying. And now let me just say two things that this is my fourth time to preach this message and nobody said amen to this. In fact, nobody likes this. And some of you are like, give it to me. That sounds pretty fun. Thanks. We braved the weather to, 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 to hear this. There are some things that God can demonstrate. When we think about his glory, there are some things that God can demonstrate about himself to the world through our personal struggle or pain better than he can any other way. And that's what's going on in this story. Is God grieved by the pain of Mary and Martha? Absolutely, we're going to see that. But there are some things that God is going to be able to better demonstrate to the world 
through our temporary difficult circumstances and situations. And in this case, this temporary amount of pain and sorrow that Mary and Martha were experiencing from their brother's death for four days, it would be the glory of his resurrection that outweighs that, right? So there are going to be some things that God can show to the world through our difficult circumstance and situations, our pain, better than he can any other way. And then think about this personally. There's just going to be some things that God will teach you about himself through your pain better than he can any other way. I know none of us like it. I've been texting, I mean, in the last, I mean, in the last year with just elevated sickness through COVID and other things and just people in some scary, dark moments. I've just seen this played out over and over and over again in the darkest moments of someone's soul, in the scariest times in someone's life, in the most difficult times in someone's life when all hope was gone and they see God show up in the midst of that and they're radically changed. Sometimes that's what it will take And God is willing for us to go through that season so we can meet him and experience him in a real and a personal way. So here's the question that I want to leave you with. Some of you are like, message over? No, but this section. The question that we often ask is, why did this happen? God, why did this happen? Why me? Why did this happen? I'm just going to tell you, if you want to begin to walk in victory over disappointment, that's not the most important question to ask. Let me just tell you, this is counterintuitive. This goes against our own thinking. Let me just tell you the most important question to ask when you're going through a difficult stretch in your life. Here's the most important question to ask. God, how can I glorify you through this? Instead of asking, why me? Instead of why, 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 how, how, how? How can I glorify you through this? Because listen, that's when people are watching, right? When you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and everything is rolling, right? Your relationships are on point. Financially, you're on point. You're healthy, right? Like anybody can walk in that. But you begin to see those circumstances and situations and say, God, how can I bring you glory through this? That's when we begin to have victory over the disappointments in life. Now, let's look on verse 17. Uh, We skipped a few verses. Let's look down to verse 17. This is where it gets real. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's dead, dead, right? Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And so that, that's significant because, again, this miracle is a very public miracle. Think about, think about Jerusalem is the epicenter of the religious world, right? And Bethany is just two miles. It is a 30-minute walk away. It is from here to Siegel High School. I mean, it is just right here, right, very, very present. This is going to be a very public, public miracle. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So it tells us that this this man, Lazarus of Bethany, was a very prominent man. He was a man of influence. Many people had come to his funeral, which was a seven-day-long event, to mourn the passing of Lazarus. So when Martha, the sister, one of the sisters of Lazarus heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. This is something I want to show you. Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. They're both disappointed because their brother had died, and rightly so, right? You guys see that? But they handle their disappointment in a different way. 
Because don't we all do that? Don't we all process disappointment differently? Martha hears that Jesus is coming, and she makes a beeline to him because she's going to tell him a little bit, right? She's going to get him straightened out. You guys know a Martha, don't you? You're like, I don't know a Martha. That's you. That's because you are a Martha, right? So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to, to meet him. But Mary remained seated in her house. Both of them knew Jesus was coming. Martha's like, I'm going out to give him peace of my mind. And Mary's like, I don't want to go anywhere, right? Martha said to Jesus, that's interesting. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. In essence, what is she saying? Who's she blaming? Another question. She's really blaming Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you'd have been here. Lazarus would still be living. And in fact, Lazarus deserved that. He was your guy. He was your friend. You loved him. This is, this is some way to show love, Jesus. He's dead. That felt better for her just to get that off her chest, right? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus had to, said to her, your brother will rise again. And it's if she doesn't even hear it. In fact, let me push into this for just a second, please. Most of us have grown up in the South. Not everybody here, but most of us have grown up in the South. And we know the drill. We know the story. It's sort of an intellectual exercise. We kind of know some truths about Christianity. We know some key events. I mean, she knew the Sunday school answer. Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. I know, I know, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha didn't know. She thought she knew. She didn't know what Jesus was talking about. Jesus said to her, listen to this. This is, this is on point. Jesus said, Martha, I'm the resurrection. Like Martha said, I know, kind of in the end, and, you know, God will come back. Everybody go to heaven. I'll be good. Yeah, 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 I know that, know that. And he said, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You don't know. I, the one in front of you, am resurrection. Resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is a person. That is a very different thing, right? And, and, and if we're not careful, watch this, most of us, that's kind of what we make Christianity to be about. It's like, yeah, 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 I know at the end of my life, like when I'm like super old, I'm, I'm going to die, and, and, and Christianity is my get out of hell, make heaven pass, and so I'll cash in those chips when the time is right. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't know anything about this. I'm resurrection and life. I'm everything that you're looking for, and I'm right here. And she missed it. Do you see that? because she had the quick church answer. In essence, she knows, she knows about God when she really needed to know God on a personal level. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurre resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Is that, is that cool? Yeah. Because what Jesus is going to do in his ultimate resurrection, he's going to defeat sin and death so that, that we can live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What Jesus is saying is, is, I'm about to destroy your greatest enemy. That's going to happen in two weeks, but I, I'm going to give you a foreshadowing of it here in just about 15 minutes if you'll leave me alone, right? He doesn't say that. Jesus says, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God. I believe you're Messiah 
who's coming into the world. My belief, maybe I'm wrong, I think she believes it here, maybe not so much here, right? Like intellectually, she gets the hat. It's never made her way to her, to her heart. Now, let's look at the third thing. Let me just recap where we've been so far. A person who's going to experience victory over disappointment has to expect some delays, right? I didn't say we'd have to like it. I'd say we'd have to expect it. Victory over disappointment is really for those who value God's glory over just our immediate gain. Number three, victory over disappointment is not primarily found in working the process, but falling in love with the person. Let me just flesh this out a little bit because this sounds weird. Like I hear so much today about working the process. Everybody's got a process, right? Whether you're a coach or a CEO or what, everybody's got a process, 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 process. We've got tons of books. There's a process for everything we do. Everybody, it's just about working the process, working the process, working the process, working the process. You know what Jesus says about process? It's not that they aren't important. He says, poor process is going to ever help you. You need to know the person behind the process. Victory is found in a present person, not just a future event. That's what he's saying to Martha. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. This is an amazing quote. Watch this. When you're sick, you want a doctor. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want a medical book when I'm sick. I want a doctor. When you're being sued, you want to help me. Lawyer, right? Don't give me a law book. Give me, give me a lawyer. Give me somebody who's won in court, right? I, I want that. Likewise, when you face your last enemy, you face your greatest enemy, death, you want a savior. You, want some, you don't want somebody telling you about some future event. You want somebody who has actually done it, right? That's what Jesus says when he says, I am resurrection and life. Jesus' goal for us, like it was for Martha, is not just to think about a coming event, but to know the person of that event. Jesus says to Martha, I am. He doesn't say, I will be. That's a big difference, right? I am is right here in front of you, and that is for the taking for us today. Jesus is saying to Martha, I am a life giver. And can I tell you that today, church? I know it's time to go, but listen, he's still the same. He is a life giver. It's what you need most, and it is a present reality for you if you know and love the person. But he's also a soul satisfier. Do you believe that? I am. What is Jesus saying when he says, I am resurrection and I am life? Like that's what everybody's looking for. Everybody wants to, everybody wants the life, to have the life. And Jesus says, listen, you can, you can go, you can take everything the world has to offer, but, but it still won't give you life. I'm the one who can satisfy your soul. Fall in love with me. It's not about the process. It's not about a future event. It's about this present reality that I am, and this is what I will bring to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's a life giver? I do. Do you believe he's a soul satisfier? I do. I believe he's a stronghold breaker as well because that's where some of you are today. You're, you're stuck in, a, in, in some bondage and some addiction and a stronghold in something that is just gripping you because of past guilt and shame in your life. Well, listen, it's not so much about you working a process. It's about you falling in love with the person. And that I am, that life can be yours for the taking. It's so appealing. Look at verse 28. I love this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. 
And when, when she heard it, meaning Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Can I just press into this for a second? Mary stays at home. Mary, hear Je- Mary, Mary hears that Jesus is in town, and Mary's like, eh, not today. I'll just hang here. Why? She's disappointed. She's discouraged. Have we all been there? Like church today, small group today, I, I doubt it, Jesus. But here's something that's interesting about Jesus, and it makes me fall deeper in love with him. Jesus knows, he knows where Mary is. He knows why Mary is there, and he still sins for her, right? His grace and his mercy, he's for her. He lets her sit in her disappointment. And who is her disappointment levied at? Tim. But he's big enough to handle that. Isn't that cool? He's big enough to handle that we're disappointed with him in a season. And so Mary rises quickly to meet him. In other words, she realizes he's not mad at me. And she goes to meet Jesus. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village. I think that's funny. Why didn't Jesus make it into the village yet? Because Martha met him before he could get into the village. That's what happens with the Martha. You can't get anywhere, right? They lock you down. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, meaning with Mary, the sister of Lazarus, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Because Mary and Martha are processing their pain differently, aren't they? I mean, Martha's raging and Mary's weeping. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't she really saying the same thing her sister said? Isn't she really saying, Jesus, you let us down. If you'd have been here, Lazarus would still be living. To be honest, I'm a little disappointed in you. We've all been there. Now watch how Jesus responds. This is great. Let me just say this. If you can't fall in love with this Jesus, I got nothing else for you. I'd I'd leave here today and I'd run chase something else. Because if you can't fall in love with this, I don't know what else we'll do. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was was deeply moved. This is a powerful statement. We're going to look at it in detail in just a second. He was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. He's not mad. It's just... It's just this anger that's growing up inside of him because of all the disappointment, and he knows what's causing it, and he's going to deal with that. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, right? As a kid, we kind of laughed about it. You know, when you ever had to quote a passage of Scripture at Awana or RAs or GAs, you just quoted John 11.35, Jesus wept. Can I ask you a question? Let's wrestle with this for just a second. Why is he crying? Because he knows what he's about to do, doesn't he? What's he about to do in 10 minutes? Some of you have read the end of the book. He raises Lazarus up, right? Why do you cry when you're about to bring him out of the grave? Why doesn't Jesus say, hey, Mary, 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 dry it up, sis. Follow me. 
He's going to live. Quit your crying. No, he just stops and he just cries with her. Even though he knows what he's going to do. Why is that? Could it be that because sometimes what we need is not a theological answer? Sometimes what you need is the presence of a Savior who feels your pain and weeps with you. That's what he does, even though he knows what he's going to do. Is that amazing? Does that show you another layer to Jesus? Can I just tell you something? In the midst of your greatest disappointment, get it in your mind right now. What is your greatest disappointment that you're going through right now? According to Scripture, can I tell you there's two things that I believe God's doing right now. In the midst of your greatest disappointment, Jesus is working and he's weeping. Do you see that? Listen. In the midst of the greatest disappointments in my life, even right now, the things that hurt me, the things that grieve me the most, my God is at work and he is weeping with me. What a Savior. That helps me. Let's finish it up. Verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Talking about Jesus' love for Lazarus. But some of them said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, talking about Jesus, he healed the blind man. If he really loved him, why didn't he keep this man from dying? Isn't that what we say? God, if you really love me, why? Everybody has that question. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want you to see how I'm about to glorify God. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Guys, lock in. Men, lock in for just a minute. Ladies, if you want to listen, you can. Perfectly fine. It says Jesus deeply moved. It's the second time it says that in just a couple verses. Scholars tell us that the English isn't really able to adequately translate the Greek here. In other words, what it's saying in the Greek, we don't really have an English equivalent. Some would say the best equivalent is Jesus snorts like a wild animal. He snorts like a bull about to charge. I didn't learn about this Jesus growing up. Then Jesus deeply moved. There is a grunt. Came to the tomb, meaning he stepped into the arena. Watch this. Jesus understands this. When he ends Lazarus' funeral, and he was about to end Lazarus' funeral three days too early, right? Because when a dead man comes out of the grave at his own funeral. Guess what? Funeral's what? Funeral's over. But when Jesus did that miracle, it was such a public miracle, two miles outside of Jerusalem, he sealed the date for his funeral, right? Which is all a part of God's plan. He is going to step into the arena and he is going to destroy once and for all the enemy that has brought all this pain and has brought all this despair. He is going to go toe to toe with the enemy. He's going to take on all of our sin, the full weight of death the enemy is going to bring on him. And Jesus is going to snap his neck in resurrection so he can pass out victory to all of us. The game is on now. Now, and with a grunt, 
he walks into the arena. That's a moment, man. That's a moment. You see, in just a couple verses, we see the ultimate man moment. We see Jesus weeping with Mary. What a Savior. Like, I can follow this dude. Then Jesus deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's an older. Thank you, Martha. God, she says. Yeah. Martha, she's never short on words, isn't he? She's quick. Stinks, Jesus. The whole thing stinks. Jesus is just so patient with Martha. Like, okay, girl. Did I not tell you that if you would just believe? Like, Martha, I just told you I'm resurrection. Resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is a person, right? Martha, Martha, I'm resurrection. Give me your decaying disappointments, and I have the ability to recompose them into life. I am resurrection. I am resurrection. And what Jesus is about to do with decaying Lazarus and the disappointment that it brought to Mary and Martha, can I tell you something? He wants to do that in your life. You see, he's never lost. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did not tell you if you believe you'd see the glory of God. Verse 41, here we go. So they took the stone away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe because what Jesus is always up to is growing our faith, creating greater trust and bringing glory to God. And if it takes going through this difficult season for their faith to swell, let's do it, right? Verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You know why he called Lazarus by name, don't you? If he'd have just said, come out, every corpse on planet Earth would have walked out. That's the power of our king. Lazarus, come out, and the man who had died came out. This is two weeks before the ultimate resurrection would take place. Pretty cool, isn't it? But there's more. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips. Jesus would step out of the grave. He would lay the, death, the grave clothes behind. But Lazarus comes out and he's still bound up and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, this is, I'm just curious here. I mean, if you can call a dead man out of the grave, you could take care of the grave clothes as well, right? You don't really need any help. Why does he get people to step in and say, hey, won't you take his grave clothes off? Because listen, Jesus wants to work through us to help people see victory and experience victory in their own life because you are surrounded by people today, and it may be you. You know the victory of Jesus Christ, but you're still wrapped up in the grave clothes. You don't know how to appropriate the truths of God's word and walk in victory in your own life. That's what discipleship is all about, isn't it? And that's what God has called us to do when he's called us to disciple other people so that they can walk and be free. Victory over disappointments. Listen, I'll close. Some of you are like, now there's a miracle. Victory over disappointments is those 
who battle from a place of victory. Because let me just tell you, don't let anybody tell you following Jesus Christ is ever going to be easy. It's not. Don't let anybody tell you when you're going through the most disappointing and difficult moments of your life, it's going to be easy. And you can run and turn your back on him. You can try to isolate this from your faith and just say, that's a whole separate issue that I'm not pushing into. Or you can battle, but battle from a place of victory, knowing that our Savior has never lost and that if we can battle, if we can continue to trust him, believe and not run away, that he would give us the victory in our life. And this victory that you can have and I can have over disappointment really begins to occur in our life when we realize that one day, one day, God will reveal the glory of recomposition out of our decomposing disappointments. That's what a person who battles from victory knows. Why? Because they know that he's never lost. And I don't know if that'll be four days or 40 years. But I know it's what our king wants to do in your life, in my life. Let me close with this. Whatever you're disappointed with, for those of you who are disappointed today, are discouraged, what if Jesus appeared to you today and wonder if he said this? Wonder if he said this to you and you heard it as clear as you've heard anything in your life. Hey, what you're going through right now, I'm going to use it for my glory and your growth. Wonder if you heard this more than anything else. Wonder if Jesus said to you, I love you. My delay doesn't mean that I don't have desire for you or love for you. Wonder if you could see the tears in his eyes weeping as he tells you that. I'm working and I'm weeping. And wonder, wonder if he told you, I'm in control, I've got this. Could you endure another day in the midst of that disappointment? I think that's what this story screams. I think it's what we need to hear as a church. Let me say this and I'm gonna walk off. Jesus says to Martha, hey, your brother will rise again. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. He says, Martha, do you believe that? See, because I'm not so sure that our churches aren't full of people who know about Jesus, even know about the things that he has done and the things that he will do, but they've never fallen deeply in love with Jesus. That's a big difference. Because when we fall in love with him, we believe him, we trust him, we pass over from death to life. Because he is the resurrection and the life. It's not an event, it is a person. And it can be a present reality for you. Jesus, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that embedded in the raising of Lazarus is a blueprint for victory over disappointment. It's a blueprint for life as we trust you and experience your forgiveness. Help us to not discount this, but help us to embrace it by faith. 
change everything about us. In Christ's name.